Well, good morning. Uh, this morning, we, uh, so we just finished a whole year of walking through the book of Romans. And so we are now, we've completed that book and we're moving on. Uh, we're going to start a shorter series for the next five weeks uh, on prayer. Specifically, we were going to talk about the, the prayer that I just prayed, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, this beautiful prayer that's right in the middle of uh, a sermon on the mount. Um, and this, this prayer is meant for us to, uh, this morning to kind of think about how our prayer life is. And so, so often, that's one of the spiritual disciplines that the Christian church kind of struggles with the most. Being able to find undistracted, set apart time where you can really just have communion with, with God. And I think if we're all honest, um, we all would, would like to have a better or a more disciplined prayer life. And I would say that for those that pray the most, because the more that you pray, the more you realize, man, I would like to spend more time praying because it's such a beautiful and glorious time when it's just you and, and the Father. And so uh, I would like for you to think about this series that we're going to do for the next five weeks. I don't want it to make you feel bad about yourself or bad about your, your prayer life or, or have any shame there. But instead, I'd like for you to look at it as more like a trailer to a, a really exciting movie, right? You get to watch this trailer and then you, you're like, man, I, I leave watching this trailer with great excitement to go and, and watch this movie. And I hope that this series does that for you is that we, we are going to walk through the Lord's Prayer and that that is just something that we look to and go, man, I'm so excited about my prayer life, about what the opportunities are that are there because Jesus, the King of Kings, has actually taught us this beautiful prayer that we can use as a blueprint, as a guide through praying. So our goal for the next several weeks is that the Holy Spirit would direct us, that, that the Holy Spirit would direct our prayers to, to see that the gospel is the center of why we pray, and in response to the gospel is also why we pray. You see, we live in a culture that so often we take what we think is the gospel and we put it in the center of our prayers, specifically. So often we take the me gospel, the thing that's, that we're on the center of it, and that's, and that's where we shape, and that's what shapes our prayers. We look at our circumstances, we look at our fears, we look at our concerns, we look at our health, and we say, that's the way I'm going to pray. And we become very me-centered in, in our praying. And so I would like for us to be challenged by that today, and, and challenged on, a, on like a huge global view of like, there are millions and millions and millions of people that are gathering this morning and throughout the week to worship Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, all across the globe. And the reason that, that, that Christians, believers, are, are, are gathering to worship Jesus is because something greater than themselves has attracted them to come and worship Jesus, which is Jesus. They've removed, Jesus has, has, has given this exchange for the me-centered gospel to the Christ-centered gospel. And we are, and, and I think as we read through this, we're going to see that Jesus knows our hearts. Not only does he know our hearts, but he's concerned about our hearts. He knows our tendencies when we pray is to, to, to slip into these ways of being me-centered. People come to church and people pray for so many different reasons. Some people come just to feel good about themselves. 
Some people will come to church or, or, or approach God in prayer because they feel like if I, it's a little bit of the bad goes with a little bit of good and there's some sort of trade-off. Some people use this prayer specifically as kind of like a rabbit foot prayer. If I say this, then something good's going to happen to me. And if you look at our hearts and when we pray, we'll recognize real quick if it's a, if it's a prayer that's man-centered or if we're praying where there's this gospel-centered prayer, where God is the centrality of our, our prayer. And so the challenge is that we become not the center of our own prayer, praying lives. It's so easy, as Jesus tells us here, to slip into that self-righteousness. Now, here's the good news. God knows all of our motives. He has uh, ordered our steps. He is completely in control. And that He has gathered those millions of people that are, are, are peppered in with Christians and believers today. He has gathered them in, in bodies of churches or buildings to hear the gospel, to hear the truth, and to begin that exchange in all of our hearts that we've experienced as, as believers. And so I, I trust that even though there are, there are thousands of people that are gathering that aren't believers, but they're sitting in buildings like this one today, and there may be even some here today, that God has ordered your step to come and to hear the truth of Jesus Christ, to begin this exchange of uh, it's not about you, but it's about Jesus and what he has done and what he has accomplished on the cross for us through his grace and his mer- mercy. So for the next five weeks, we're going to be walking through the Lord's Prayer. It's found in Matthew 6. We see a, a, a snapshot of it also in, in Luke 11. And Matthew 6 is uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is this beautiful picture of Jesus showing up and he says, the kingdom of God is, is here. And this is what the kingdom of God looks like. And he begins to talk to his disciples. So it's called the Sermon on the Mount because he takes his disciples away from the crowds that have been following them. And he just takes his disciples. It doesn't mean it's just the 12 disciples. I think it's those that are, that are believing in Jesus as the Messiah. And he takes them to the Mount and he begins to t- teach them. And I think real quickly we've, we've uh, we'll learn that this isn't just Jesus giving the disciples a list of do's and don'ts. I think this is Jesus exposing his heart, saying this is what the kingdom of God is going, is going to look like. And right in the middle of this sermon, this 2200-word sermon, we find this prayer. Now in Luke 11, I think we can also see that this is not Jesus just one time teaching his disciples how to pray because we see a completely different circumstance where he's with his disciples and the disciples are asking questions. So maybe it's a little Q&A time with Jesus. And he says, teach us how to pray. And Jesus gives them a, an abbreviated version of the Lord of this Lord's Prayer that we'll cover here in Luke 11. So we see that Jesus is, is always teaching his disciples on how to pray. Because disciples would... would um, would follow their rabbi around okay so jesus was their rabbi and when jesus would go away then they would watch him they'd watch what he would do they would watch who he was speaking with how he was interacting and if he were to go away for a long period of time then they would anxiously await for him to return and a disciple would would literally worship their rabbi meaning that i'm here to learn my life to look like your life 
And so when Jesus would come back, we see in 40 different times throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the four Gospels, 40 different occasions where Jesus breaks away to go and pray and be with the Father. Not even taking his disciples. So when the rabbi would return, what do you think the disciples want to know? What have you been doing? How, how have you been in prayer for so long? What does that look like? Jesus, how, how are we to pray? And so he gives us this beautiful picture right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount about what the kingdom of God is going to look like and how we are to pray. And he starts off um, in Matthew 6 with this kind of on-ramp, preparing the disciples. Like, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you this blueprint of how we should pray. But there's a lot of caveats that go along with this that are kind of heart-check moments for us. And he begins in 6, 1, verse 1, with this pretty stern warning. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Now what does that have to do with prayer? Well, it's the beginning, it's the on-ramp to prepare us for what the Lord is about to give us in the Lord's Prayer. Let's take that word literal. It is literal. It's a literal warning. Don't practice your righteousness in front of others. He's literally saying this is this time, this thing that I'm about to teach you about, this is not something that's about you. And so often in the Jew, just Jewish culture here, what he begins to unpack is what Jewish piety looks like. Giving, praying, fasting. And if you do those things with your own self-righteousness in, as, as your motivation, then yeah, you're going to get your reward. Right? There is a reward. He, Jesus says they're going to get the reward, but what is that reward? What does that look like? Like a, you know, a clapping hands emoji, a pat, a pat on the back, a good job, a at a boy. Look how how spiritual or how religious they are. Whatever that reward is, whatever that looks like, we know that it's temporary. It's not. It's not something that's going to sustain. But we see that for those who follow the instructions of Jesus on how to do these things, that they will receive reward. It says, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, I don't believe that is to be like a larger crown or a bigger house. A lot of people have taken that as a prosperity promise or a moral intersection, where if you do this, then God will do this. But I think if we're all honest, when we hear about this idea of like getting rewarded from God, we would love that. But if we're real honest, we think of it as something that's in the here and in the now. Something that's immediate in our this reward system between us and God. And so why is Jesus teaching them this? Because he wants to break the, the, the presuppositions of what, what being rewarded really looks like. I think this is why Jesus is giving us a deeper understanding because he's showing us what the kingdom of God is going to be. See, in the kingdom of God, nothing is temporary. And so as we move through what a reward from God looks like, keep that in mind. 
that the reward that God is going to give us is going to be much greater than anything that we could ever have temporarily here on this earth. Maybe it's a, a yoke that fits the weary. It's one that is crafted by God's hands. Maybe it's a peace that surpasses all understanding. Or perhaps it's a protection from the, the evil one. Or maybe it's a deeper revelation of, of what it means to understand God's grace. I think all of those things, I can imagine those things being eternal things that we just, that's drawing us to worship God in a deeper and more satisfying way where we just look and we go, holy, holy, holy is the, is the Lord God Almighty. We're no longer a part of like, oh, did I get this? Did this, did people see me or view me in this, this manner? And so as we look at this, we recognize that whatever it is, this reward is that God will give those that do these things in secret when it's just you and God, is that we will never be highlighted as the reward winner. That's not how the, king, the, the economy of the kingdom of God works. It will only reflect the beauty of God and his amazing glory. Uh, a friend of mine used to, when he would pray, he would always end his prayers with, and God, you take all the glory and we'll take the joy. And I love that because it really is like, God, you take all the glory and we, we'll, we'll take the joy. There's no greater re- reward than, than Jesus. And I think one day we'll have that eternal presence with Him. And nothing can make eternity more comfortable, better, or first, more, more first class than, than just Jesus. And so we go into verse 5 here, and it says, and, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, you have received, they have received their reward. So historically and contextually, we need to understand that, um, that being, standing in the middle of the synagogue was a sought after position. The Pharisees would do this often, to where they would come in the middle of the synagogue and they would pray because they wanted to be the, they wanted to have the center of attention. They wanted everyone to be looking at them, praising them. The, at, at, and historic, historically, we see that there was even times when the Pharisees wouldn't come into the synagogue until the synagogue was completely full, just so that more people would recognize them and see them. So when it was bare, they would stay away. When lots of the masses would come in, then they would go and they'd stand right in the center of the room. And they would want everyone's attention, and they want all this praise, even to the point where some would, would even pay alms to, to them. Now, I don't think that Jesus is saying or condemning public prayer. We see Jesus praying with the 5,000, with the 7,000. We see Jesus healing the sick. We see Jesus blessing uh, families. We see Jesus teaching in public spaces. What I think he's saying here is that when you come to the Father, make sure you examine your heart. Before you come to God in prayer, make sure we examine our hearts. Is your heart in a posture of worship of God or of self? And if we're honest with ourselves, we would agree with this quote that Paul David Tripp says is that we're so, it's so easy because we are so quick to take a godly thing, which is a good thing, and make it a me thing, which can quickly become the worst thing. 
Let me read that again. We are so quick to take a godly thing, which is a good thing, and make it a me thing, which can quickly become the worst thing. This is the root of our sinfulness. It's about me feeling good about me. It's, a, it's not about worship of God. So we can take ministry, service, even prayer, and make it a, a means to build ourselves up, to make ourselves feel good about who we are. So when the disciples ask Jesus, how are we to pray as your disciples? I think it's kind of a heart check for them. It's like, do we do stuff like these guys? Because I don't know if we're doing it like you. And so they, he, they ask, how are we to pray? And so Jesus gives them the instructions as this blueprint. In verse 6 it says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. He just said, don't be like the hypocrites standing in the synagogue, in the middle of the synagogue, in the crowds. And now he's saying, instead, I want you to go into a quiet place, a private place, a place where you can just be you and the Father. And I don't, don't think this is a, a legalistic demand. I think this is uh, Jesus encouraging his disciples to find time that is undistracted. A time with the Father that you're not busy with thoughts or concerned with other people. Now, if you need to build a prayer room in your house, great, do that. Find a, a closet, a corner, something that you can, but a place where you can be undistracted. You and God's word and, and, and prayer. Or if you can go out on your front porch and sit in your rocking chair and be undistracted. And marvel at the beauty of who God is as, as the creator and sustainer of all things. I would go over to Gary Gambrell's house in his, in his 90s, early 90s. And I, un, and I would interrupt him. I would show up unannounced. And I interrupted him several times just sitting on his front porch rocking. Gary, what are you doing? You have, you have a minute? He's like, I'm just sitting out here praying, marveling at God. So it's not a matter of if you have a room or a chair. Or, it's, it's creating undistracted environments to where you can truly talk to the, to the Lord in a way that, that you're not worried about someone else hearing what you say. And when we do that often, then when we get together and we pray with one another, you've already practiced that presence of being with God. Practicing the presence of God takes discipline. And that's why prayer is one of the hardest disciplines, I think, in the Christian faith. But there's a promise that comes along with that. When we do things like this in secret, it says that there'll be a reward. We'll find a peace. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, anything worth praise, worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. And here's this promise, this reward of even having assurance in your relationship with God. It offers wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2, 2 says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There is a reward 
when we follow and we spend time with, with the Lord. But this, these rewards are not temporary. These are rewards that, rewards that are going to be a catalyst that, that catapult us into this understanding of eternity, being fully in the presence of God all the time. So Jesus goes from one side. He says, hey, don't be like the hypocrites over here, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, right? And then he goes to the other side. He says, and, and don't be like the pagan Gentiles either, right? In verse 7, he says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as Gentiles do, for they think that they will, will be heard for their many words. So we see this in Acts 19, where the Gentiles, the pagans, are standing in the middle of the street, crying out to the, their, their gods, and they had had these, these uh, chant praises that were mechanical and careless and thoughtless. But they would just say them over and over again with many words. And people would look to them and say, oh, maybe, that's, that, maybe those are who we should follow. Maybe they have some sort of authority. They're praying to God. So like, there's so much, so much lostness out there. Hey, that God's working for them. Maybe that God will work for us. And they would fall into that, that trap. And Jesus is saying, don't, please, don't be like that. Don't have mindless mechanical prayers. And in our sinfulness as humans, I think Jesus is warning us here because he knows what it's going to look like 2,000 years later. That we can take this beautiful blueprint of a prayer and we too can make it a mechanical, mindless, careless, heartless prayer. I know. I grew up in this kind of pseudo-Christian sports environment where we'd say the Lord's Prayer before every game. We'd say it after a practice. I've been around Christian environments long enough that I walk into a hospital room where someone's dying or sick and that's the only thing that they, they may know. Now, I'm not saying those things are bad, but I am saying that when they become so mechanical and so staunch and so heartless that they lose their meaning And Jesus didn't give us the prayer for us to be like the pagans and to chant them in the street corners. He gave us this prayer as the, as an encouragement to dig deep and understand who Jesus is and how he wants us to pray. To pray to God as Father. To pray to God as Holy. To pray to God as a King of a Kingdom. To pray to God as the God that provides all things. A God of forgiveness. A Redeemer in Jesus Christ. He gave us this prayer to find ourselves in brokenness and in great need of who He is as our Savior. So before we we go much further, I just want us to have a working definition. And this is kind of homework for you guys as well for the next five weeks. A working definition means that that maybe you have some presuppositions of what prayer is or what it's been in your life. I want you to write those things down. And as we walk through this, how has that changed or has that changed? So for me, I just want to kind of start with some of these these starting blocks. Prayer is getting comfortable asking God to do what he has already promised to do. The key there is prayer is getting comfortable asking God to do what he's already promised. Praying is trusting that God's will is better than ours. Praying is looking at the meta-narrative of Scripture and seeing how God has never failed in any of His promises to us so that we can trust Him. Prayer 
like I said earlier, is being reminded that the gospel has to be the center because that is our only hope. I think we start with those those things through the power of the Holy Spirit as he, as he guides us as his adopted sons and daughters that he loves greatly and dearly and wants us to have this intimate relationship with the Father in prayer. If we start there, then we can have confidence that God will answer our prayers for his purposes. And so when we think about how we're praying and we put ourselves in the center of that, are we really asking God, will you... Will you Answer these prayers for your purpose? Or are we asking, God, we answer these prayers for my purpose? And so he begins in verse 9. And he says, pray then like this. And when he begins unpacking the Lord's Prayer, what we'll see later on is that he gives us this perfect parallel of what Jesus calls the summary of the commandments. What are those summaries? Two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like that. Love your neighbor as yourself. So when we see Jesus start telling us how to pray and gives us the Lord's Prayer, He's running a parallel of the greatest commandment summarizing love God first and then love one another. When you look at this prayer, and as we unpack it for the next five weeks, you're going to see that, man, First, we're to love God, and then we're to love one another like ourselves. And so he says, as he approaches the Father, our Father in heaven. He does not say, my Father. He clearly says, our Father. This is an extended invitation to enter into the communion with God. As Jesus has taught time and time again, when Jesus would approach God, the Father, He would always address Him as Father. There's only a few times where He addresses Him as anything but Father. And that word in the original language literally means Daddy. It's someone that, that this intimate, no one else ever called God Father. Because He only had one Son. But now Jesus says, is saying, now I want you to call him Father. I want you to call him Abba. I want you to call him Daddy. When you talk to him, talk to him like he is this good and gracious and glorious and wonderful Father. Because he is the head of this family. He is the one that leads all of his children over all of time. And I understand and I want to be careful and I want you to, to, to think about it. I know that some people have a hard time thinking about God and that parallel of, of Father. Because maybe some of us have had bad experiences with our earthly dads. Or maybe we've had no uh, an absence of a, a good father. But I want to challenge that with what Jesus teaches us in Matthew 7. He says, if you then who are evil... Okay, so he's speaking to all of humanity, going all the way back to Genesis 6, where he says that we are continuously evil. Every intention of their heart is grounded in sin. Okay, so if you then, who are evil, that's all of us, know how to give good gifts to your children. Jesus literally just said, you're all evil. So that's like a different understanding of what good is at that point. If we're all evil, we just know that whatever our good is, and some... Parents may, dads may think, you know what's good for you, boy? You know, and it's a little bit more stern. Well, that's what they think is good. But the bottom line is that whatever we offer is going to be rooted in sin. 
Because we are incredibly broken and evil and sinful people that need to be saved. Whatever it is, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give you good things to those who ask Him? Everything God gives us is rooted in His glory. Ours is rooted in sin. His is rooted in His glory. So that we can go and we can say, God, our Father, is good. He's loving. He's caring. And whatever good understanding we have of Father on this earth doesn't shine a light to the beauty of this relationship that Jesus is is inviting us into with His Father. Saying, I want you to call Daddy, Daddy. I want you to be adopted into this family. And and soon, Jesus is going to make that very clear, and that's only going to happen because of the blood shed for our sins. So we have been invited to address Him as Daddy, in the same way that Jesus Himself addressed the Father as Daddy. And what goes along with that is understanding that, that when we ask our Father, what are we to do, or how are we to worship you, then it's everything's going to line up with, with God's glory, with God's mission. And that's what, that's what Jesus does. That's what we see in John 14. He's saying that, that I'm going to do what the Father tells me to do. And so the challenge for us is if we're adopted, crafted into that family, is to ask ourselves that question, that same question. Are you willing to do the work of the Father has given you? And I think that work begins with prayer. Are we willing to really just listen and spend undistracted time with God. Because I think it begins with knowing God and having this relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So this week, um, as we prepare for the next couple of weeks and we, we look deeper and deeper into the Lord's Prayer, I want to ask you, would you be willing to just read over this prayer this week? Several times. Not, and if it's something you, you've... you've um, memorized and it's and it's maybe a little mechanical that you would ask the holy spirit you'd ask god the father to break it down for you and to kind of steer your heart and ask god what are you teaching me through this prayer what's the depths of understanding that you are father what's the depths of understanding what the word hallowed means to be holy what's the depths of your kingdom look like What's the depth of you providing our daily bread look like? What does it mean to, to receive and to give forgiveness? What is your kingdom? What does the kingdom of God look like? And maybe you need to read the whole Sermon on the Mount that gets us to this prayer. But would you be willing just to read this prayer several times this week? As we got four more weeks of walking through this prayer and really ask, God, what are you teaching me? What would you have me to learn about how to pray and how to approach you as Father? Lord, thank you for this beautiful passage, this beautiful prayer that we prayed earlier. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy and your patience with us, Lord. God, thank you for um, the time that you allow us to have with you where we're undistracted and we're able to have this communication where no one's watching And we really get to learn your heart and how you love and how you care for us. 
Lord, I pray that it would just be this week for all of us. Just we'd have some sweet moments, some sweet time alone with you. Reading this prayer and then also, Lord, that you would expose to us uh, the depths of our sinfulness and the glory of who you are as Father, as King, as Savior, as Provider, as the lover of our souls. And only you can do that in us. I pray that we would have that discipline to approach and to come to you because we need you desperately. We pray this in the name above all names, Jesus Christ. Amen.